It's Sunday of the 2018 Masters, and Jordan Spieth is making a charge. He's moved to within three shots of the leader, Patrick Reed, after a huge birdie at 12, but he pushed his tee shot right on the par 5 13th, and now he's stuck between clubs for his second. Spieth's first instinct is to pull four iron, but his longtime caddy, Michael Greller, sees things differently. I like the hybrid more than that. It's 230 hole? Yeah. I just think, do? I think it fits the shape of the hole better and it gives you more margin for room, you know? That sound, that's the crowd reacting to Spieth pulling the head cover off his hybrid. The decision has been made. Meanwhile, Greller has just one more question for his boss. What's your start line here? Just... I'm at the, the middle of the green bunker. You said it's off the right a little? Yeah, I just don't feel much of that right here. Yeah, I know, but yeah, it's not touch. off the left. It's just no, no win. Correct. Yep. Three shots back. Huge moment on Sunday at the Masters for Jordan Spieth. Go. 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 It went. It's still going. Jordan Spieth has that for Eagle at 13. There's a reason we love hearing exchanges like this, and it's not just because it shows us what tour players are thinking about when they're standing over a hugely important shot. We love these hot mic situations because they provide a window into one of golf's most mysterious dynamics, the relationship between a professional golfer and his caddy. Each one of these relationships is different. Some are quite formal, others more familiar. With Spieth and Greller, it doesn't feel like an exchange between an employee and a boss, or if it does, it's not quite clear which one is which. Mostly what you hear is two men completely comfortable with one another. Greller didn't shy away from voicing his opinion even in the biggest of moments. And Spieth listened to his guy, even when his instincts told him to go a different way. Now, golf has long been known as the ultimate individual sport. But did that sound like a solo mission? Or did it sound like a two-man team? If you pay attention to golf, you'll have noticed the weification of the professional player. If a guy plays well, he'll tell the media that we did a great job of staying within ourselves. After a win, he'll talk about how we had a great game plan coming into the week. And after a miscut... It's, we need to do a better job going forward. Yes, the caddy is a more integral part of the professional golfer's process than ever before. And let's contrast that with how Jack Nicholas felt about caddies during his career. Chris, I was a little different, I suppose. I wanted a caddy to, you know, to, to uh, respect the three ups of caddy, and that's, you know, show up, keep up, and shut up. And, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted somebody that I could get along with. I wanted to carry the bag. But I didn't want anything other than if I wanted to verify my yardage. But the guys today, I think they rely on a caddy too much. I think you've got to take responsibility for your own game. And, you know, if you make a mistake and you pick the wrong shot, don't blame it on the caddy. It's your fault. Now, players don't really blame caddies for their bad shots as much as Jack might suggest. And there are a few who do it, but not many. But still... There's no question the caddy role has changed and expanded over the past few decades. So what's behind this change? How did the tour caddy go from show up, keep up, and shut up to now, where caddies step in to overrule their guy on Sunday at the Masters? In other words, what is the role of the modern PGA Tour caddy, and how did it become the job that it is today? I'm Daniel Rappaport, and this is Local Knowledge, the Golf Digest podcast that takes a deep dive into the most compelling stories in the world of golf. 
Today, we're talking about the ever-shifting landscape of the PGA Tour caddy, a job that has evolved in different ways for different players, but has nonetheless made professional golf more of a team game than ever before. We'll talk to caddies and the players they work for about how it all works, why some partnerships last for decades and some never make it past the first week. And we'll discuss how the caddy's job has simultaneously become easier and more complicated at the same time. First, a history lesson. It wasn't always this way. And we don't just mean that the caddy wasn't always constantly involved like he is now. We mean, well, the caddy wasn't always there. Today, virtually every player on the PGA Tour has a full-time caddy. A guy who, apart from special circumstances, will be on the bag at every event. But back in the day, it wasn't such a consistent gig. In fact, the Masters didn't let you bring your own caddy until 1983. You had to use an Augusta National caddy, whether you liked it or not. And the U.S. Open had a similar policy until the mid-1970s. So maybe part of the reason Nicholas was so uh, ambivalent toward caddies is because he had so much success with so many different ones. He famously had his son on the bag in 1986 when he won his 18th and final major at the Masters. But the best Nicholas caddy anecdote comes from the 1972 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. The way they assigned players to caddies back then is kind of hard to believe. All the players' names were put in one hat, and all the caddies' names were put in another. They literally pulled names out of a hat. And Nicholas, who had won nine majors at the time, he had just won the Masters two months earlier, he was paired with a local math teacher named Paul Latsky. Latsky had caddied, in his own words, once or twice before that. And Nicholas won the tournament. That's not to say there weren't full-time caddies who followed the tour. There were. They just weren't always the most polished men in the world. You didn't play for any money, so the, really the caddies were, were gypsies, really, you know, and, and, and rough, rough men from the streets. You know? That's Billy Foster, who started out as a tour caddy 37 years ago in 1983. He's caddied for Seve Ballesteros and Lee Westwood and Darren Clark and Thomas Bjorn, and he currently loops for Matthew Fitzpatrick. Billy's one of a number of caddies we're going to hear from, and I really don't want to have to reintroduce him every time he talks, so please just remember this. Billy's the British one. You didn't play for any money, so the, really the caddies were, were gypsies, really, you know, and, and, and rough rough men from the streets. You know, I was uh, probably the start of a newer crowd as such of, you know, dare I say, half-respectable people. Like, you know, there, there used to be... You know, down and out scatting because there was no money in the game whatsoever. And You're talking about I like legitimate, like you know, alcoholics or like actual. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, desperate guys. You know, I mean, it was rough and ready guys out there. That um, it was a tough existence, and I literally, I only started caddying was to learn more about the game, to get my own game better, and to just travel around Europe for a couple of years. You could not make a bean caddying. In fact, I think I lost money the first five years. But how did someone go about getting a bag back then? I think guys just you stood in the parking lot. That's John Wood, another longtime tour caddy. He just recently split up with Matt Kuchar after a really successful five-year stint, and he's now on Cameron Champ's bag. John got his start in 1997 with Kevin Sutherland, and he also worked for Mark Kalkovecchia and Hunter Mahan. In short, he's one of the most respected caddies out there, and he'll tell you he's been lucky to have consistent work with established players. But he knows that before him... Most guys didn't have it so cushy. You asked for jobs. You, hey, you, you know, a lot of guys I don't think had regular caddies all the time. You know, they'd go week to week. They'd go month to month. Um, and and you kind of, I think guys would pull up to a tournament and see who was standing around in the parking lot and go, I know him. 
I'll try him this week. Um, so and that's how it was done back then. I don't, there wasn't, you know, cell phones. There wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of texting and, and messaging back and forth. It was, who do you see in the lot? And, and um, you know, I know him. I remember I was out paired with him when he caddied for this other guy and I kind of liked him, I think. So let's give him a go. So it was just kind of a, you lucked into jobs, you know? So that's the classic way it goes down. You found a way to get onto one bag and then you kind of bounced around from guy to guy. And that still happens plenty, although gone are the days of guys standing around in the parking lot hoping for a loop. Most caddies have personal relationships with players from being out on tour, and it's also common for caddies to go the agent route when they're searching for work. So, yes, there are still plenty of guys who go the old school route. Justin Thomas's caddy, Jimmy Johnson, is 30-ish years older than Justin and was on Steve Stricker's bag before making the switch. John Rahm's looper, Adam Hayes, previously worked for Webb Simpson and Jason Duffner, among others. And Colin Morikawa's caddy was actually cut by Ryan Moore before getting the call from Morikawa. And that seems to have worked quite well for him. The thinking went, if you were a young player, you needed to find an established tour caddy, a guy who knows all the courses and how to play them, a guy who's been there before. Think about Tiger Woods' caddies that he's had in his career. When he turned pro, it was Fluff Cowan, a guy almost 30 years older than him. And Fluff had been on tour for a full 20 years before he started working for Tiger, and that's exactly what Tiger wanted, a guy with experience. Then after Fluff, it was Steve Williams, an ultra-respected caddy who had worked for Greg Norman and Raymond Floyd. But it's changed dramatically in recent years. More and more guys are bringing their friend or their brother or their college teammates out to caddy for them on tour. And Rory McIlroy is a good case study of this switch. McElroy had J.P. Fitzgerald on the bag for the first nine years of his pro career. And Fitzgerald is what you would call a quote-unquote tour caddy. He caddied for Paul McGinley before McElroy, and he's continued caddying for other guys after McElroy and him split in 2017. And McElroy replaced Fitzgerald with Harry Diamond, a friend he grew up with back in Northern Ireland. Now, Diamond is not some random guy. He was a really accomplished junior golfer but he had no tour caddying experience before hopping onto one of the best bags in the world. And world number one, Dustin Johnson, he has his brother, Austin, on the bag. Matthew Wolf has a college teammate, Nick Heinen, working for him. And so does Xander Shoffley, who played at San Diego State with his caddy, Austin Kaiser. But back then, it was kind of, you came out on tour, and you found a tour caddy um, who got to know you. Now, a lot more guys are bringing somebody out that know them already, and learn how to become a tour caddy. So what are the benefits of this approach, of bringing someone you're already close with out to caddy for you on tour? The first one's rather obvious, simple companionship. For a tour player, the caddy is the only guy who will be by your side every round you play on tour all year. And you're spending six or so hours together per day, 30 weeks a year. And that's a lot of time to spend with someone if you don't like them. And that doesn't say anything about the -the off-the-course time. If you're one of these guys that plays a truly global schedule in America and Europe and Asia, when you finish your round in Malaysia or Dubai, wouldn't it be nice to have a buddy you can just hang out with? But that's nothing new. Guys have been playing all around the world for decades and decades and decades. So why are we now seeing more players bring their boys with them out on tour? The rewards are so high that, you know, that's why you're seeing um, keep it in the family as such and the brothers and the wives and you know, it's big money and, uh, you know, I guess some of them don't want to be paying caddies and they want to give it to the relatives or the girlfriends, I guess. In other words, money. So now is probably a good time to give a brief lesson in caddy economics. 
typical tour caddy is paid a flat guaranteed rate for the week. For my conversations, the low end of that for a PGA Tour bag is $1,200 per week. The average is around two grand or $2,500. And maybe there's a guy or two making over $3,000 a week base. And then the caddy gets a percentage of the winnings. Typically, that's around 7 or 8% for a made cut and 10% for a victory. So let's say a caddy's weekly pay is $2,000 a week and his player plays 28 events on the year. He doesn't win, but he makes, say, $1.9 million for the year. His caddy will be paid $208,000. And then there's the FedEx Cup bonuses, which the caddies also get a percentage of. So let's say that player finished 50th in the FedEx Cup, which gets you a $157,000 bonus, and he gives this guy 8% of that. The caddy's final total pay for the year will be roughly $220,000. So it can be lucrative for the guys on the best bags. Harry Diamond, Rory McIlroy's caddy, he made somewhere around $2 million last year. It would make sense then for a player to want to keep that type of money in their close circle. But couldn't it also go the other way? Wouldn't playing for more money make you want a pro caddy out there? Maybe, but this is where tools like yardage books and satellite imagery come in. Simply put, the job of a caddy is much easier than it used to be in that respect. All of that hard-earned information that the seasoned caddy might have gathered from years of hoofing it on tour is literally written out for players in the clearest way possible. And the reason why uh, now you're getting so many brothers or wives or girlfriends or, you know, relations caddy and is basically because the yardage book is absolutely brilliant. Um, it's like this week me and Matt have rocked up. We've never seen this golf course in his life. Uh, and straight away, just looking at the yardage book, you've got all the pictures, the runouts, every yardage from every angle possible and you can make a decision on that tee that's 95% always going to be right you know and it's um, it, it's taken the way out of the art of caddying to a certain degree there's a less the learning curve now where it's just like you know anyone with a brain who can read numbers and has a knowledge of golf could figure this could figure the yardage books out to a certain degree yes I can personally vouch for this Back in February, I actually filled in for Billy for a week and caddied for Matt Fitzpatrick in the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. It's a long story, but Matt and I go way back, and it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. So I had caddied a few times in a couple low-level pro events before, but nothing anywhere near the PGA Tour level. And a week or so before I flew up to Pebble, Matt sent me satellite renderings of all three courses that week, so I knew what they looked like. Then, right before our first practice round, Matt handed me a yardage book for each of the courses. I could not believe the detail. By the way, there's a guy that makes these for each course. His name is Mark Brown, and he's a former tour caddy, and his company is called Tour Sherpa. The tour gives a yardage book to each player and caddy, free of charge. So each book has a hand-drawn rendering of every hole with every possible yardage you could ever want. How far it is to the front of every bunker and how far it is to carry it, how far the front of the green is from every conceivable spot, how far the layup is short of the water, and it has adjusted yardages too, so it'll tell you how much uphill or downhill every shot plays. It was a bit overwhelming when I first tried reading it, and there's some quick math that you need to get comfortable with, but by the ninth hole of the practice round, I got the hang of it. So it's not so easy a caveman could do it, but it's also not exactly rocket science. The yardage book does nearly all the work. But remember, back when Billy started caddying, there were no yardage books. Caddies made their own. They would walk the course and pace everything off, and then they'd eyeball how far uphill or downhill they thought a shot was playing. And you better believe some guys were better at it than others. There was an art to it. Now, thanks to Tour Sherpa, 
every caddy has a perfect yardage book every week, even if they've never seen the course before. And that's not the only thing the modern caddy has in his arsenal. There's also green reading books, which show laser renderings of every green on tour, so you can see just how every part of the putting surface breaks. And all these tools combine to make the technical part of caddying that much easier. If you know golf, and maybe even if you don't, you could figure it out. Okay guys, time to talk about one of my personal favorite products, CBDMD. As a leader in the CBD industry, CBDMD is committed to providing you with high-quality, THC-free CBD oil products. Whether you're gunning for a raise or a gold medal, you need to stay at the top of your game. And we know this is super important right now, staying fit and staying healthy. Everyone from weekend warriors to pros like two-time Masters winner Bubba Watson trust CBDMD to give them the natural support and relief they need to reach their goals. And with so many world-class athletes like Bubba turning to CBDMD, you can be sure that you're getting a safe and clean, and this is important, a clean product. From tinctures to topicals to bath bombs and even pet products, they've got something for everyone. I use it all the time. After a round of golf, you're feeling sore. You take some CBDMD and it eases your muscles like you wouldn't believe. And I've also given it to my dog, my, uh, my precious buddy. He loves them too. So to make it even easier... For you guys to discover the potential of CBD, CBDMD is offering our listeners 25% off your purchase when you use the promo code DISCOVERY at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code DISCOVERY, all caps, D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-Y, DISCOVERY, for 25% off your order of premium CBD oil products from CBDMD. Alex Goggert knows golf. He goes by Feely, and he played collegiately at the University of Minnesota before playing a bit on the Sunshine Tour down in South Africa. While he was there, he lived with Eric Van Royen, his good friend and former teammate at Minnesota. They became close, and when Eric's bag became semi-open, Feely figured he'd pitch himself. I had mentioned it to him, and he said he was going to get someone new, and I'm like, well, like, give me a shot at this. Let me, let me come do it for you. Van Royen was skeptical skeptical of turning a good friend into an employee. Because no matter how many times a player says we, no matter how close a player and his caddy may be, there's still a clear-as-day dynamic. The player is the boss, and the caddy works for the player. And I think initially that was, that was my skepticism um, with getting a friend on the bag. Um, you know, Feely is a, is a very good golfer in his own right. Um, and... But that also intrigued me to kind of get him on the bag. The big reason why I didn't want to initially is because of our relationship. I didn't want to affect that in any way. Both guys say they've done a tremendous job of protecting their friendship. And both feel that being friends has some advantages out on the golf course. Look, I trust him implicitly. um, And I think he trusts me implicitly. So if he kind of tunes me straight up that, dude, you're thinking like an idiot or this is I hope he tells me. I'm never going to take offense to that because I know that he's got um, our team's sort of best interests in mind at that moment. Right, so, but it's probably easier for him to say because you guys are friends that, hey, you're acting like an idiot than some, some guy that you met two weeks ago. Exactly. That guy you met two weeks ago, exactly, you're spot on. So um, in that sense, it's kind of great. Billy's boss, Matt Fitzpatrick, feels a bit differently about the prospect of having a friend on the bag. Me personally, as a, as a person, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty professional and not that you can't be professional with your friend, but I, I would find it difficult to, to 
um, to have that. Don't get me wrong, me and Billy and the other guys I've had, we, we've had a good laugh on the golf course and, and it's, you know, we're good, good friends. But um, I, I just think, you know, I see it more as a job, um, you know, as a caddy, I see it more as a job rather than bringing your mate along to help him out or bringing him along to make you feel better, you know. You have to wonder how the older caddies, the guy who had to wait in the parking lot and beg for a bag, how they feel about all these whippersnappers coming out on tour because they were lucky enough to be friends with a really, really good golfer. Of course, it varies. During my week caddying, Fitz happened to play with Matt Kuchar all four days, and John Wood couldn't have been nicer to me the entire week. But when John first came out on tour with Kevin Sutherland, who was a buddy of his, the older guys weren't so welcoming. Back then, the veterans didn't want new guys out there at all. It was kind of, you were taking a job if you were coming out. Um, it's not like that now, because I think it's almost understood that a lot of guys bring brothers or college teammates or, or buddies that they played a lot of golf with out, um, and it's kind of just accepted. But back then, yeah, it kind of looked at like you were taking somebody's job, and so it wasn't the friendliest atmosphere back then um, for a new guy. And according to Feely, Eric Van Royen's caddy, some guys still aren't very friendly. A pretty funny story is we were playing in either Abu, da Abu Dhabi earlier this year, and we were in a practice round with one of the older caddies. And, like, I kind of am starting to get to know these guys, but I'm only in this thing about a year. Um, so this is – I'm in it probably six months. And I asked this guy, like, hey, have you ever been around this course? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, mate, I've been around here for the last 17 years. <laughs> and it's like, you know – they, he, almost, he almost took offense to the question in a way. Yeah, it's like, dude, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. Um, I like having conversation and I like talking to people. Um, but yeah, with the older guys, for sure, they aren't necessarily as friendly, not necessarily as, you know, as personal. They don't. I've noticed it as well where these guys have an air about them and. They think because they won the Masters with someone back in 1991 that this punk who's got a mustache that's like literally 13 months old and there's barely anything to see. And they think he doesn't know what he's doing. Meanwhile, um, there's no better team in the world, according to my book. So um, it's just funny. But to be fair, not all the older guys are bitter. Billy's not. He understands, and he himself is able to get a good chuckle out of some of the pairings we see on tour these days, like the current caddy situation of his former boss, Lee Westwood. Westwood's been there for 25 years or whatever, and, you know, he's, he knows his own game as good as anybody. The yards books are brilliant. He's got his girlfriend there that says nothing apart from, you know, what we're having for tea or whatever it is, and he's quite relaxed on the golf course, but he can... He's clued up enough to, to read his own yardage book and, and he doesn't really need a caddy anymore and that seems to be the way it's gone to a certain degree. So now we know a bit more about the how. How someone gets to be a caddy on the PGA Tour. But what exactly is the job of a PGA Tour caddy once they've got it? Here's a sample of early week preparation for a PGA Tour event per John Wood. I typically will get there Sunday night or Monday 
Um, and then Monday, I, I walked the course. I walked the course this morning because I've never been to Shadow Creek. Actually. Okay, so you don't need the full uh, schedule, but to summarize, it's a lot of preparation walking the golf course, a lot of waiting, watching your guy hit balls, and a lot of reacting to how your player is feeling about his game before the lights go on Thursday. And then the tournament starts. Of course, each player relies on their caddy a different amount, but there are some things that remain consistent. Generally speaking, the caddy is in charge of getting yardages, he rakes the bunkers and fixes the divots, he deals with the crowd, he'll read putts if he's asked to, and some guys rely on their guys a lot on the greens, and some bring them in very little. And some guys, like Eric Van Royen, they change day to day. Some days I ask him to help me on every single read just to get his opinion on it. Um, like last week we played Wentworth and I really struggled to see the lines the first day for whatever reason. Um, and I pulled him in quite a lot. And then other days, like the final round, I, I feel like I used him a lot less. How much a caddy does during the round largely depends on the playing style of the pro. Tiger Woods, on one hand, plays super old school, super field dependent. He hardly ever asks his caddy, Joe LaCava, for a read. And I find this super interesting. He never wants an adjusted yardage. He only wants to know the raw number, even if the hole is playing 25 yards downhill or into a three-club wind. You'll never hear Joe LaCava say, it's 150, but with the wind, it's playing 170. Tiger prefers to feel that kind of thing. It's kind of wild. But Billy Foster had a little more asked of him when he worked for Seve Ballesteros and Darren Clark. Yeah, I worked really hard with Seve, and uh, he did listen to me a lot, as is. Darren Clark, I did everything but at the golf shop for Darren Clark. Um, I was like his guide dog. On the far end of the rely on caddy spectrum is Bryson DeChambeau. His caddy, Tim Tucker, probably has the hardest job of any on the PGA Tour from an X's and O's perspective because DeChambeau incorporates numbers into his game more than any other player. Here's a conversation the two had prior to a shot last year in Dubai. Okay, what is it again? So it's 26 air density. 26 air density to the flag. Correct. Air density. Yes, we're talking about air density. 10%. 6, 7 short, 6 short. 10% is 12 yards, so 137, 38. Okay, 137, focus 26. Okay, 38. Land this 5, 10 short. Okay, 38. Let's talk about trajectory here. We have a tie, something But wait, there's more. Is that going to land us on top? top? No. And we're back on air density. 50 degree. Okay. Yeah, I like that. That's that's eight run out. Yeah. And then we have a little wind, so we couldn't affect it. All that for a stock gap wedge. So all the stuff we've talked about so far is technical. But there's also the strategy part of caddying what club to hit off what tee, which tree to aim at, when to get aggressive, and when to play conservative. And as the years have progressed, it's much more aggressive and much less conservative. And one reason for that, advances in equipment. It's changed massively. Uh, it, certainly the last, I'd say, uh, I'd probably say the last five years, definitely. Uh, maybe the last ten even, but um, it's just generally with the technology and the forgiveness of the clubs and the ball, hardly moving anymore compared to how it used to do. The shot making has gone out of the window. And better equipment has coincided with a better understanding of shot link data, which tells a clear story. Closer to the hole is better, even if closer means in the rough. In my mind, what I think about on tee shots now, it, unless 
driver can get you into a penalty area. Water out of bounds, uh, you know, a dead green, a, a, you know, a fairway bunker that's just dead. I want to hit driver, and then that's what that's what the game is these days. For for, for good or for good or bad, that's what it is. Um, and so I'm, you know, I just think the stats have shown, and Bryson proved that, especially at Wingfoot, that you know, regardless of how tough the rough is, it's better to be closer to the hole, no matter what. And here's Feely with a real life example of how that strategy can play out on the golf course. We hit something short off the tee the first day. We had eight iron in. And then we hit we hit driver and three woods the last two last three days at Wentworth and had anywhere from 110 to 80 in. Now it didn't work out how we wanted it, but you know he had really good looks from. That's because on Sunday I duffed a 76 yard pitch into the water. And that's hilarious, but it's also quite poignant because it speaks to a brutal truth of caddying. Only one person can hit the shot, and it's not the caddy. You can be the best caddy in the world, but if your player is duffing wedge shots, it's not going to make one bit of difference. If you're going to gamble on golf, you may as well do it right. And for any golf fan who's curious about betting on golf but hasn't gotten serious about it, we have the podcast for you. Be Right is Golf Digest's weekly gambling podcast featuring the latest PGA Tour intel and picks from an expert panel that is up nearly 300 units this season. That's a gambling term, by the way. With thoughts from some of fantasy sports' brightest minds and even an anonymous tour caddy at our side, we've done our best to turn betting on golf into a science to help you make money off golf. While we can't promise that you'll come out ahead every week, we can guarantee you'll be well-informed and entertained along the way. So stop doing golf wagers wrong and join us on Be Right. So the strategy aspect of caddying has evolved. So has the -the off-the-course stuff. More than ever, caddies are now part of a player's team, a group of three or four or five or however many guys work for a PGA Tour player. Back in the day, a guy had a swing coach. Now he has a swing coach, a putting coach, a sports psychologist, an agent, a trainer, if not more. Everybody has a team now. There's nobody that doesn't have a a team that I can think of. I'm thinking some are smaller than others. That's Kip Henley, who currently caddies for Stuart Sink. He's one of the more, how should we say this, outspoken caddies on tour. You know, even the fat guys got trainers now, so is there any fat guys left? <laughs> what are they doing? Why are they getting paid? I, mean... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, some of the trainers are worth their weight in gold, and some of them are what we call sandwich makers, peanut butter sandwich makers, peanut butter and jelly sandwich makers. And with a big team, everyone's got an opinion on what the players should be focusing on in practice, on how his attitude needs to change, all that stuff. And oftentimes it's the job of the caddy to filter out the noise, to act as a buffer between the team and the player. I don't listen to every minor detail that's said. I've got like selective hearing and I'll, I'll pick up bits along the way. And if I think it's bullshit, which a lot of it is with all these big groups of everybody, that they're all trying to justify uh, being on the payroll. There's a lot of kissing asses and all that. And I'm there to, as a sounding board to just speak the honest truth when it needs to be said. But then again, it's, you know, the money goes up, there's more money to go around and the players want the comfort blanket and somebody to stroke their ego and stroke the back and whatever it is. So, and they can afford to pay it now. So obviously the, the, the group gets bigger to a certain degree, I guess. Members of that group will oftentimes ask the caddy for his honest opinion of the player's performance. Because as Eric Van Royen and his caddy will tell you, the player can't always act as an impartial observer. 
they come to me with a lot of questions that they don't really want to bother him with, which is fine. So I'm kind of like, I'm a, like, I'm a inner, like on the outside, but on the inside, if that makes sense. Um, so I kind of see everything that goes on and they come to me with questions and how I view things. And it probably yeah. think, they think you're going to be honest, right? If they ask Eric, you know, how'd you hit it today? He might give you one answer and, and you might have a different one. Well, right. Yeah. I think, I think, um, you know, I might be in a place where let's say I had a poor finish and I'm, I'm upset. So I'm emotional about it where he's going to give a completely cold and, and sort of straight up answer. Um, so, you know, our team kind of functions that way where um, they do go to Feely quite a lot and it gives me time to just really focus on how, how to play golf. John Wood sums it up nicely right here. We become, uh, you know, the, the psychologist light, the, the swing coach light, the uh, trainer light, the putting coach light. Caddies will tell you that at least half their job is on the mental side. We could get into this in deep detail, but it's so incredibly different with each player-caddy relationship. What it boils down to is, do you say the right thing at the right time? Here's a quick story about saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Back in 2010, when I was 15, I caddied for a guy in a U.S. Open sectional qualifier. In the second round of the 36-hole day, he birdied 17 to get to 9-under for the round. As we were walking toward the 18th tee, I turned to him and I said, looks like we're getting ourselves a course record today. He immediately hated the comment, bogeyed 18, and missed the U.S. Open by one shot. So yeah, wrong thing, wrong time. It's all about knowing your guy, knowing when to give him a pep talk, and knowing when to let your guy stew in his own anger. Perhaps the most extreme example of a pep talk came courtesy of J.P. Fitzgerald, Rory McIlroy's old caddy. During the 2017 British Open, Rory got off to a poor start. And Fitzgerald turned to him and said, You're Rory McIlroy. What the fuck are you doing? That wound up being their last event together. Rory announced their split shortly after the tournament ended. So clearly, what used to work in their relationship wasn't working anymore. And when you're no longer gelling on the mental aspect of the game, that's when the relationship is in danger. Because as we talked about earlier, virtually anyone can figure out a yardage book and learn how a guy likes to play. The mental and the emotional match, that's a bit more fickle. And that brings us to the sad part of this, the breakups. Here's Kip Henley discussing his breakup with Austin Cook. And uh, I came home, you know, after we missed the playoffs in Greensboro. Of course, I was disappointed. I felt like I'd let him down and everything else. And then he calls me and, and breaks up with me. <laughs> and that one was like, I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't break my heart, but it was, was it the like, kind of was it the kind of thing when like a girl calls you and she's like, "Hey, we need to talk," and you knew something was up? Not really, because I mean, that when he called me, and I, I was sitting on the phone talking to him and everything, and then he just he kind of broke into that. I think I'm going to go a different direction. I was like, "Wow, that one hit me out of left field." You know, I didn't see that ever coming. It kind of hurt my feelings, but you know, it didn't. I wasn't heartbroken. I didn't go lay down and cry after the phone call was over or anything like that. But yeah, no, I was, no. this is damn! I just got fired. I can't believe it. Some caddies, however, do cry. I spend more time with Matt than I do with my wife, and uh, it is like a relationship. And when you have long relationships, like I have with ten years with Westwood, ten years with Darren Clark, and five years with Seve, etc., it hurts, you know, and it uh, it's a sad day. Yeah, and I get emotional and shed a tear sometimes. I, I don't. I won't deny it. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's tough to stomach sometimes. Sometimes it's just downright hilarious. I asked Billy, Kip, and John, what's the best breakup story they've ever heard? Here's Billy's. Thomas Bjorn and his caddy at Sun City. Um, and his, his caddy were walking in. His caddy were walking in on the uh, 17th tee. He'd had enough. He couldn't take it anymore. And, uh, and uh, Thomas had said, well, you're the worst caddy in the world. And, he's in, and he just said, well, that's too much of a coincidence because you're the worst player in the world, you know. And walked in and left <laughs> him to carry his own bag for, for, with two holes to go. You know, I mean, things can get pretty nasty out there, you know. John Wood's best story was kind of similar to Billy's, but instead of Thomas Bjorn, the player was Jay Williamson. They got into it at uh, at Cologne, at, or, I'm sorry, the Canadian Open, and midway through the round, they're coming over this bridge, and Mike puts the bag down and unzips the bag and throws all Jay's balls in the lake and walks off. <laughs> Quit him right there. But he threw his balls in the lake. Yeah, threw all his balls in the lake and walked off. I don't know what, you know, precipitated that. But but Mike got about 100 yards away and thought, oh, crap, I left my car keys in the bag. So he had to come back after that display, unzip the bag, sheepishly get his car keys, and then walk off again. But my favorite breakup story came courtesy of Kip. The best breakup story I heard was a player was rinsing his caddy, and his caddy didn't know it yet. <laughs> this might be too out, out forthcoming here. But the caddy, the player was breaking up, and they were still going to the – putting green i don't know if it's after saturday or sunday or missed the cut or what but they were out in the putting green to practice and the player has already spoken with his wife about man i'm rinsing this guy but yet he still got him out there helping him and he tells the caddy to video his putting stroke the caddy sitting there holding the video like this and the message from his wife pops up did you fire or did you tell so-and-so that he's gone now? While he was holding the phone. <laughs> yeah, while he sat there. So that's a pretty gross one. That's a pretty harsh way of finding out. Caddying, it's a volatile profession. Most players go through their fair share of caddies throughout their careers. The long-term partnerships, Phil Mickelson and Bones, Jim Furyk and Fluff, Tom Watson and Bruce Edwards, those are the exception, not the rule. So it's volatile, and it's also emotional. I can tell you this firsthand from my experience that week with Fitz. When your guy is playing well, it's an unbelievable feeling. Because you're in the arena, but you're not too far in the arena. Like, you get the adrenaline of competition, but you don't actually have to hit the shot. You're just kind of along for the ride. But when it turns south, I've never felt more helpless. You can say the right thing, and you can portray confidence and all that stuff, but... That feeling of not really being able to do anything, it's really, really tough. But if you can stick around for a few years on tour, and if you can get yourself on a bag of a player with status, well, it's not a bad gig indeed. Especially when you've got some sponsor events in Las Vegas. After we practice on Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember what day it was, I get to go to Las Vegas Speedway, hop in a Lamborghini and go as fast as it can possibly go around an inland park track. So, I mean, I get to do crap like that. We get sweet tickets. You know, we go to the ball game and sit up and drink free liquor and wine and stuff and sit in the box and watch the ball games. And, I mean, we get concert tickets and we get, I mean, I have a pretty cool gig. I say it all the time, Dan. I have the second greatest job in the world. And what's the best job in the world? You know, the greatest job in the world is the guy I hand the club to. 
Local Knowledge is produced by Gregory Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. Our music for today's episode is called Brain, and it's by Lobo Loco. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get your podcasts. And also, please leave a review. It's a big help. Thank you.